Hiya, it's Sarah Lloyd-Hughes here and welcome to my commentary on your month two of your inspiring speaking journey. Now, if it was important last month to get the grounding of inspiring speaking in authenticity, the most undervalued and I say the most important quality that affects a leader's impact on their room or indeed their followers, this month is all about getting over there to the other side of the room, away from yourself and putting your focus on your audience members. In month three, we're coming to the place where we get a bit more structure into how to piece together a compelling talk. So that's coming up for you in the next workshop. But that's not relevant until you've understood the purpose of your talk. Now, authenticity is connected to the purpose of your talk as you see it and thinking about uh, really what is your reason for standing up and the message that you want to get across to your audience, big or small. But what about the audience and their purpose, their priorities for listening to you? So few speakers think about what their audience want and need, and as such they waste a lot of time, the audience's time and their own, with untargeted and uncompelling words, hot air basically. And this is the difference between regular speaking, the kind of speaking that you probably hear um, at least once a week from, from various different sources, versus what we're looking at today and this month, which is empathetic speaking. And this is also the difference between speaking that fills the space versus speaking that inspires. So we're looking for empathetic, so we're looking for empathetic, powerful speaking, rather than just more empty words that don't really mean anything to your audience. Let's start by just taking a quick look at why empathy is so important. As speakers, communicators, leaders, we're all salespeople of some sort. Now that might be literal if you're in sales, or it might be that you're selling an idea, an approach, an opinion, uh, a way of behaving. No self-respecting salesperson can do that job without understanding who they're selling to and what the value is of their product or their idea to those individuals. Now, the very best salespeople focus not on themselves, not on their product or their idea, but on their audience, so that you don't really even know that they're selling. They focus on serving their audience's needs, and it's exactly the same with the very best speakers. So if you're going to develop the quality of empathy, you need to get absolutely fascinated by your audience, to get right underneath their skin and to unpack their needs, their fears, their hopes, their worries, so that you can best connect them to your idea, the change you're making, the product you're promoting, and so on. Now we'll come back to that, but meanwhile there's another really big piece of empathy that we need to develop before we can even think in detail about what our audiences want. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, self-obsession or what we call in the empathy session the tendency of being an egocentric speaker because until we've got over this it's very difficult to think more about the audience than it is about yourself. Speakers so often fall into worrying about themselves, don't we? Worrying about how the audience will perceive us. There's plenty of judgments flying around for most speakers which typically focus around you judging how the audience 
are judging you. Um, and for me, it's like those teenage years, hours and hours spent in front of the mirror, getting your hair right or clothes or makeup right. And if, if you didn't, I certainly did. We were trying to look good, but it, really it's because we're so worried about ourselves and our position in the social pecking order that we feel like we really need to focus on ourselves. This self-obsession is biologically natural and to some degree we need it, it serves a purpose. We're pack animals by nature and we want our status to be high in the pack. Nobody wants to be that weird person who sticks out for the wrong reasons. So in a sense, it's a survival mechanism to be self-obsessed. But as natural as self-obsession may be, it's not a quality of an inspiring speaker. Self-obsession is in fact the opposite of empathy. As I've mentioned, it is egocentric. You focusing on yourself feels natural. It's a consequence of people looking at you when you're public speaking. And the ego thinks, oh, they're looking at me. It must be about me, therefore. But it's a fundamentally flawed piece of thinking. Yes, your audience are interested in you, but it's only insofar as you are a filter or a conduit for them to understand your message. It's a function, if you like. And to put it in a really impersonal way, your function as a speaker is to bring the audience some kind of benefit. Information, assistance, inspiration, whatever it is that they most need that you can give them. It's very easy to make that mistake of thinking it's all about you, especially when people give you feedback that hurts or indeed praises you or challenges you in a way that feels personal, it feels like it is about you. Whilst it's entirely possible that someone in the audience does have a personal relationship with you and might be judging you, if you place your attention there, if you focus on that and on making it about you, you're doing a disservice to the rest of your audience who simply want to get some benefit from you, want to get some help from you. And this egocentric tendency doesn't help you either because it either makes you more nervous because you're focusing so much on yourself or it can make you into a bit of an arrogant egomaniac because you're focusing more on the praise that you receive and seeing that as the whole purpose of your speaking. Either way, the more you choose to serve your audience, the more you relax and let your ego relax. The more you relax, the better job you do and the better job you do, the more your audience benefit, and that in turn makes you uh, benefit more. It's a positive circle. Now, you've probably started thinking about the way that this self-obsession tendency shows up for you since participating in the empathy session. Um, and it's always good to keep this investigation live as you go about your daily business. For you, it might be really obvious. It might be finding yourself awake at night, worrying and worrying about what your audience will think of you or worrying and worrying about a certain aspect of your speech or your talk that's coming up, replaying it, uh, seeing some kind of terrifying detail or judging yourself. Um, it could be a particular person that you're obsessing about, impressing who it might be in the audience, is someone who's your rival or your boss or maybe a love interest, who knows? It could be a part of your talk that you feel insecure about. What will they think if I say that? Can I really be so bold? It could be generally worrying about making a fool of yourself or not having people accept you as you speak, uh, needing to get a right. A classic one for me, worrying about what you're going to wear uh, more than it actually warrants. Um, will anyone come to see you speak? And so on and so on. 
Of course, it could be a slightly sneakier uh, bit of self-obsession. You might think that you're considering the audience's needs, but still be self-obsessing. I wonder what the audience will think of me, or I really hope I do it perfectly for the audience, when really it's wanting to do it perfectly because of your own plan, uh, because mostly the audience won't know whether or not it's perfect, judging by your own plan. Keep an eye on this self-obsession tendency and really try and root it out. It's not useful and it's not going to help or inspire anybody. In the meantime, it always helps me to focus on my audience as a channel for any self-obsession or worrying twinges that I might be feeling coming on. So let me give you a few pointers about how you can do that. Real empathy is actually quite a daring act. It's vulnerable. You're actively opening yourself up to the opinion of others and saying, feed me, tell me what you want, tell me how I can serve you. Now, you may be one of those feedback junkies who have come on the ISP fully open to, fully relaxed about, fully accepting of other people's feedback, but it still may hurt sometimes if people are very direct or if they hit a nerve or if they tread on the very thing that you thought was your best bit, or the bit that you've put your most effort into. To put it bluntly, empathy is a really adult act, where we have to get over ourselves and all the effort or heart or vulnerability that we've put into a piece of speaking, and genuinely, deeply look for the feedback that will help our audience and our speaking to progress. At the same time, it can be really confusing to get too much feedback from different people because, as you might have noticed in, a, in the empathy session, everyone has different needs, different opinions, different preferences of communication styles. So some people might say to you, right, I really love that bit of silence. And other people might say to you equally, that bit of silence, I, I didn't really get. It was a bit, a bit dull for me. Could you speed up, please? Some people might, um, for example, project on you. Uh, so they might give you feedback that holds you back uh, because they wouldn't want to open up themselves in such a way. So for example, oh, I'm not sure I would say that to an audience. What will they think? Might signal more about the feedback giver on the ISP or, or in general in life than it does about you. And also some people's feedback just isn't helpful for your aims. Uh, because they're not the kind of person that you're actually trying to influence. So empathy gets to being uh, a constant loving investigation, loving towards your audience, but also loving towards yourself. So that in amongst all these different opinions, in amongst all these different ideas that people have for how they'd like to see you behave and speak, um, you have permission to try and to fail and to try to get closer and closer towards understanding your audience. So how is it that you make um, a, a clear headway through all of this potentially confusing mass of, of opinions and, and feedback and ideas as you open up to those? Well, first of all, it's key to understand deeply who are your audience? Who do you want to serve? And that of course connects to authenticity because it connects to the sense of purpose and the sense of message that you have in the world or in your work or in your community. And if you understand who your audience are, then you're able to seek more direct feedback that actually helps you. Now we can offer you a general audience at the ISP, 
um, but the more deeply you understand your audience's needs, and you're, the better you are going to be at serving them. So that means really understanding them, rather than just assuming or stereotyping. Uh, that means testing things, testing things with the audiences that you have in mind, even if uh, that seems unusual or even if that seems like something risky that you wouldn't normally try on such an audience, give it a shot. It's also your job to make sure other people feel comfortable in giving you criticism. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a sort of, oh, yes, that was wonderful or fairly average feedback that doesn't really, truly point to what an audience needs. It's important that the way that you ask for the feedback and also the questions that you ask dare to go deep enough to expose the things that you can do better. It's probably that's why we have so much mediocre speaking out there, because most audiences just sort of nod and say, well, very well done, knowing that it's a, a bit of a vulnerable act to stand up and speak. And that's probably because somebody asking for feedback doesn't genuinely want to, to know the answer. So how do you understand your audience better? Well, my advice is to, as much as you can, immerse yourself in the world of your audience. Even if you think you know that, that world really well, try to go a level deeper and think from their perspective. Remembering that as soon as you step into the spotlight as the speaker, your tendency to, to go back to that egocentric space can very much put you off the direction of what the needs and the wants of the audience are. So get back into their perspective, hang out with them if, if you can, interview them or just ask them about their needs, their struggles, their fears, their doubts about your subject. The more people who are really your target audience you can have in-depth conversations with about this, the more rich the idea or the understanding that you have will be about what they need. Look for the kind of language, the kind of examples, the kind of ideas that they use and try to translate that into how you might speak to influence and inspire them. Look for what they do, what they resonate with, what their language is. And, and I have one great example of this from, from my backstory who always sticks in, in my mind when I think of this. Um, a chap called Jack, who I used to work with we used to do a lot of work with school kids. And when, when he spoke to audiences of 50, 100 more kids, he used to completely get into their world. Um, and he created huge amounts of resonance, of empathy with that audience. And how he'd do it, it would be to adopt their posture. So he'd come down and be with the kids, like, using much more informal body language than you should do as, a, as an adult. Um, he'd resonate with their heroes, particularly, I often heard him talking about football, um, using the, the heroes of the day. He'd use their language, like kids' slang language and the occasional swear word that in giving permission to their language, he uh, opened up their ears to listening to him and he used their honesty. So he developed a style that was very, very much like kids language but still retaining the authority of uh, of an adult and, and the way that they re related to him was absolutely incredible they, they very rarely heard speakers uh, or school teachers doing anything but talking at them and here he was talking with them in their language so when you have this information crucially this starts to get to a place of understanding the value of what you have 
to offer for the audience. And this is a marketing thing, really. Um, how can you sell your ideas as best as possible? When you speak in the language, using the examples, using the, the tendencies of your audience, how can you then take that forward to understand what are their needs, what are their hopes, and how can you, the speaker, solve them? To do this, you now need to intimately know and understand the pressure points, the needs, the struggles, the difficulties that your audience face around your subject matter. So when you start considering uh, value, you can always be really methodical and strategic about it. Have you got key difficulties that your audience are facing around your subject. If they have no difficulties, there's probably not much of a talk to give, um, because if, if they know what you're going to say, if it's super, super easy for them to understand it, then they probably know it already, and it's probably not a particularly useful um, use of their time. However, if you can find a dilemma, a difficulty, a danger for people, a challenge, an objection for people around your subject matter, then you've got a talk. And, and this will come in very, very useful, as you'll see in, in the balance session, when we start to talk about uh, the hero's journey and the difficulties that, that your audience might face in taking on your message. So start looking now for what are the biggest challenges and struggles that your audience face around your subject matter. Because if you can solve some of those things, then you're onto a winner with a talk because you're creating something that's practically and tangibly very, very useful for the people that you're speaking to. And you could almost try writing a kind of top 10 needs that your audience have around your subject matter. Is there one that sticks out above the rest? If so, can you dare to try and solve that for them? The more important the need that you're solving for the audience, the more important your talk will be to them. Let's take the example of Jamie Oliver's TED Talk, which perhaps you had a look at last month in relation to authenticity. His premise is that we should teach kids about where food comes from. So far, kind of obvious. If he's not careful, his audience or a critical audience might think, yeah, don't we already do that? Is this really a big deal? Um, in the grand scheme of things, why should I care uh, about listening to you when I've got so many other things on? Now, this isn't a topic that I particularly cared about before hearing Jamie Oliver's TED Talks. And uh, I've had some of those objections and perhaps some more objections that, you know, I don't need to listen because there are worse problems that need to be solved in the world than diet. Uh, generally, isn't the Western world's health pretty good? Uh, my family are pretty well educated about food. This is nothing really to do with me. Um, maybe I, I would think you should be speaking to badly educated people, not me. On top of that, I might think, well, even if this is important, there's not much I can do about any of this. So probably I've got a collection of objections or doubts or, you know, just sort of moderating factors that make me not pay attention to or, or be interested in his subject. Um, probably quite similar to other people in, in that TED audience and, and beyond. Now, Jamie Oliver's talk has fantastic empathy. It needs to because he's trying to make us care about his campaign enough. Uh, it's like he's gone through a list of all of these sorts of objections and more and thought quite strategically, right, how can I make this audience care? How can I get around those barriers that people might be putting up to, to hearing my message? 
his empathetic investigations turned out to talk that made it my problem. So some of the devices that he used, probably having reflected on, on what his audience's needs were, were statistics about diet-related disease, showing how it's not getting better, it's getting worse over time, uh, asking the audience who has kids or nephews and nieces to make it about us rather than about some abstract uh, numbers. Uh, he showed us that it's not just about fat, badly educated people, that uh, there are stories of all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. He used logic, he used emotion, and he showed us how his topic will affect us all. So in some senses, he's sort of ticking off each of these objections as he goes through his talk. Now, Jamie Oliver will also have other audience types that he's trying to convince within that room um, and beyond, particularly policymakers, perhaps, people with power to turn his vision into a reality. So he and you might be operating on multiple levels with who's in the room, how can I impress them, how can I give them something that they need? Are there also other different needs groups that have different requests and requirements for information? So he might need to do some deeper investigations into the needs of those specific groups. Sometimes they can conflict with the needs of the general public. Uh, what are those people's hindrances in supporting their work? And maybe that also in turn influences Jamie Oliver and your choice of language, content, examples, and so on. You're building this sort of big picture of different needs groups in the room and how you can best serve as many of those as are relevant to your aims. Then the other thing that your empathetic studies might influence is your style and your presence as a speaker, meaning who do I need to be as a leader, as a speaker, to serve my audience? What style or tone do I need to adopt to have maximum power in this situation? If I look at Jamie Oliver, I'd guess that here in his speech, he needed to be first and foremost approachable, uh, an everyday type character rather than a preacher. Actually, it's interesting to note that there was another very similar talk from a female chef on TED that I remember watching, but I took objection to it because she was preaching or it felt like she was preaching at me rather than being one of us. So his approachable down-to-earth style definitely helped me to open up and resonate with his message. So that only as and of itself wouldn't quite be enough to influence me uh, and I think probably Jamie Oliver knew that and, and in order to rally change he also needed to be a commanding leader. This feels like it's a definite stretch for Jamie Oliver, but something that he managed later on in the talk. You know, he was indignant, he was powerful, he was clear, he was even quite angry at some moments. And that really helped me to connect more uh, with his message and to remember it more. And it's the same for you. You may need to play different versions of yourself to benefit your audience in different moments of your talk. Now, to get here, naturally it comes down to reflecting on your own impact as a leader, and that's very much what we do on the Inspiring Speakers programme. We encourage you to dare to see yourself as other people can see you, and rather than freaking out about it or pushing it out the way or saying, oh, I don't really want to be like that, boldly accepting your power and how the audience wants you to behave to serve your message.
for the audience it's nothing personal as I say they they see you as a function they see you as someone from whom they can get some benefit so it really isn't personal and that's what we're doing as I say all the time with you on the inspiring speakers program giving you feedback about your leadership qualities those that you currently possess and those that we believe you need to step into to best serve your audience and that's very much the aim of certain methods that we have particularly the circle of love at the end of the day it's not about coating you in sugar and sending you out into the world feeling all fluffed up and pumped up and so on what we're doing there is pointing out to you where your current abilities are your leadership qualities and also we're calling you towards greater confidence in further territories of your leadership, of your expression that might help your audience. So now that you are starting to empathise without self-obsessing, your next steps this month and beyond are to try out those behaviours, the, the language, the ideas that best serve your audiences and to do your best to do this in a way that makes their needs more important than your own. Bravely seek feedback from as many people as you can along the way particularly those who are your target audience spot where there are things in your talks that are working really well and spot also where there's something a bit mediocre going on that could be improved or that could have more resonance try something even riskier than you've tried before get feedback on it see what the resonance is in the room and go deeper 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 in refining and honing your understanding of your audience and their needs after all, if you focus on their needs, both your needs and the audience's needs will be solved and everybody benefits. And indeed, as I might have said before to you, who does it make more sense for you to obsess about? Yourself, just one little bitty, bitty, bitty speaker? Or does it make more sense for you to focus on the countless people who might benefit from your message as an inspiring speaker? I know which one I'd focus on. <laughs>